Well, hey, Vintage, good morning. It's great to see you. And again, thanks for joining us this morning as we worship Jesus together. We're going to dig into his word and look at this whole area of guidance and how does God guide us. And so let's pray as we come to this now. So Father, we thank you so much that you do guide and you're with us as a shepherd. And Lord, some of us have got big decisions coming up and we thank you that we're not alone in them. And Lord, in the midst of sometimes a confusion of how we hear your voice, the questions we have about how do I know it's your voice, how do we know if it's God guiding us, Lord, I pray that you'd be in clarity through your word, that you don't want us living in confusion. So Holy Spirit, come now and breathe clarity that we may follow Jesus wherever he leads. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as I said this morning, we are continuing in our series in the book of Proverbs, looking at God's wisdom for guidance, particularly in our city, our wonderful city of LA. There are so many questions that we face. Where do I live? What college do I go to? Who do I live with? Should I move to a different part of the city for the school district? Should I even stay in LA or should I move like the rest of the world to Austin or Nashville? Um, should I date this person? Should I not date this person? Should I break up with this person or should I hang in there? Do I go back to work? Do I stay in this job? Do I give up and try something else? Do I buy or do I rent? Do I take the 405 or Lincoln, you know, Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out? Uh, do I stay at Vintage or go to Church Home or Reality LA or wherever it is? Do I go into ministry full-time? Do I leave my job and go into business for myself? There's so many decisions and so often this is the predominant question that we ask ourselves is what do I do about this situation? The great news is Jesus is with us and he is our guide, he's our shepherd. And in the book of Proverbs, we see a roadmap of how to discern his guidance. And so let's go through it together as we seek Jesus, show us your will in whatever we're facing in our lives. First thing we see in the book of Proverbs is this, guidance begins with trust. Guidance begins with trust. Proverbs 16 says this, Whoever gives thought to the word of God will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We've got to begin this topic of guidance asking the question, do we trust God in giving us guidance? You know, whenever you ask someone for help, you want to ask someone who you trust, right? You want to know that they have your interests at heart. You want to know that they know what they're talking about. I remember the days before iPhones, you know, where you'd be driving around and I don't know about you, but I would often get lost and I'd need to find someone to ask directions. And I knew that I had to look for someone who I could trust. And I couldn't ask anyone for directions, just just in case they would mislead me. And you may think, gosh, that's quite a cynical attitude towards people. But it's only cynical because that's what I used to do. Me and my mates growing up, if anyone stopped at the side of the road and asked us for directions, we'd have a laugh and totally mislead them and send them in the wrong direction. So I knew there are people like me around. And so we would always go, who could I ask? You'd wind down the window, 
this is old, isn't it? Wind down the window. And then you would say, like, do you live around here? Just to see, like, do you know these streets? Or you'd go into a convenience store and ask the person working there. Because you want to find someone that you can trust who knows the situation. And I want to ask you a question. Do you trust God knows your life, knows your future, knows the best thing for you? In the big decisions of life, do you want to know God's advice? I'm having many conversations with people who ask me, I don't know what to do about this. And as a pastor, uh, my first response is, well, let's work out what God wants. And it's actually sometimes exciting because people go, yes, I want to know what God wants. And sometimes the disappointment is there because people are maybe afraid of knowing what God wants. They actually don't want to hear what God wants. They maybe don't trust him. Proverbs 3 says this, My child, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. At the beginning of this talk on guidance, I want to remind you that God has your best interests at heart. He's not a spoil sport. He isn't going to mislead you like I would people on the street. He's not going to lead you into traps. But actually, when you think about it, God is your heavenly father. He's your shepherd. He's your savior. He's your creator. He's your friend. He's your rescuer. He's your companion. He's the one who died for you. And he's the one who said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I want to encourage you this morning as we look at God's guidance to have an open heart to say, Lord, you know what? I do want to hear what you've got to say. Even if it's difficult, because sometimes difficult advice is the best advice. And sometimes I don't want to lean on my own understanding. So I'm not just coming to you to confirm my own understanding. I'm going to actually allow my own understanding to go to one side as I come to you and say, God, you know what's best for me. You created me. You love me. You died for me. I trust what you've got to say. Guidance begins with trust. But then as we go through the book of Proverbs, as we see the different strands of how to discern what God is saying, I want to frame it like this to make it super clear and super simple. I want to frame it in a series of questions. That as you answer these questions in this order, you narrow down the guidance that God is giving you. And the first question is this, when you're faced with a decision, the first question is always, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Proverbs 4 says this, take hold of my words with all of your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Some of God's guidance for you is so important that he wrote it down so there would be no confusion. You know, my wife and I are going away uh, next weekend. And we're going to write down lots of instructions for our friend who's going to come and look after our kids and our dogs. And there's some things we know that she'll pick up along the way or she can phone and say, hey, what do I do about this? But there's some things I know that she has to know this. If she doesn't do this, it's going to go bad. And I'm going to write it down. And God loves us so much. He goes, I don't want you to be fumbling around for the big pieces of advice that will bring life or death to you. So I'm going to write it down. 
And that's what his word is. It's much more than that, of course. It's not just a guide to life. It's much more than that. It shows us the character of God. It shows us the great narrative of how he's worked with humanity for his purposes. It's amazing. But it's also his little letter to you to say, hey, in this navigation of life, here's the big stuff that I don't want you to ever be confused about. You know, the stuff like do not murder. That's a biggie. You know, don't steal. Don't commit adultery. You know, if you do these things, it will lead to death. If you don't do these things, you're on the right track. But I find that we sometimes forget how much is in here that sometimes we conveniently forget isn't clear. Things like pay your taxes. It's tax season, right? Are there going to be some little things that we leave out? Don't lie. We talked about that last week. That's a biggie for God. He says, I don't want you to be confused about that. I'm going to put it down in writing. Forgive your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Don't criticize others. Don't gossip. Enjoy sex in marriage, not outside of marriage. Invest your time, talent, and treasure into the kingdom and into the church of Jesus. You know, sometimes we want to know, oh, go, what does God think about this? What does God think about this? And it's kind of like, dude, I wrote it down for you. It's that important. And again, do you trust him with this? Sometimes I can already feel the kind of sense of, ooh, but what if that's not good for me? I will come back to the trust. Do you trust he's your father? Do you trust he knows best? It says in that proverb, if you obey the words of God, it will lead to life. But if you don't, it will lead to death. And sometimes you do these things and you think, you know, it's going well, it's going all right. You know, but eventually it will catch up. And we'll find that we're going against the grain of how God created us to live. So start with the Bible. Start with God's written instructions. His love letter to you of this is the best way to live. But not everything is crystal clear like that, right? The Bible isn't a million volumes because he puts the macro direction into our life in writing. But there's so many areas that are not that clear. What do you do then? Well, let's go on to the next question. Let's go on to the next question, which is the second core principle of discerning God's guidance for you. And that is this. Which of your options will seek first the kingdom of God? Which of your options will seek first the kingdom of God? Proverbs says this, commit, Proverbs 15, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. So Proverbs 16 verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Now, we often read this superficially and think, aha, this says kind of, oh Lord, here are my plans, bless them. You know, let them succeed. And if we do that, then they're going to happen. As if, God is some kind of genie in a bottle. But it doesn't say commit your plans to the Lord. It says commit to the Lord whatever you do. And the word commit here means to roll over, to put all of your weight onto him. It means that as I'm trying to work out my plans, I'm putting them onto Jesus because my plans are about focusing on my life in him. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. My life is committed to him. In other words, it's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, where he says, so whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. 
Jesus put it in this, like summarized it in this wonderful verse in um, Matthew. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Our joy and our purpose in life is to make much of Jesus. Our joy and our meaning and purpose in life is to bring glory to his name, is to find our place in his narrative, in his story, to worship him, that we are servants of Christ. I love at the beginning of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, he has that great statement at the very beginning of his introduction introduction that says, it's not about you. It's about him. And so when we're faced with decisions, Sometimes we think, well, what's going to make me happy? What's going to make me fulfilled? What's going to bring more purpose and significance to me? Where they, God might want all of that for you, but the way that he grows you and gives you value, gives you significance, is when you don't focus on what's going to be good for me, but what's going to give glory to him. It's like that old song says, in my life, Lord, be glorified. Paul put it this way in Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies. So, Lord, what I do with my eyes, let it be holy and pleasing to you. What I think, let it be holy and pleasing to you. What I do with my hands, let it be holy and pleasing to you. What I say with my mouth, let it be holy and pleasing to you to you. And so when you're faced with a decision, you start with question one, what does the Bible say? But question two is, what in this decision is going to bring me closer to Jesus? What in this decision is going to bring glory to him? What in this decision is going to deepen my discipleship with him? What in this decision is going to grow my obedience of him? What in this decision is going to make disciples of other people? Seek first the kingdom of God. I find that when we put that framework onto many questions, we realize that actually one of the choices that we had wasn't going to make much glory of Jesus. Whether I change job, leave LA, move to a different school district for the kids, whether I stay at Vintage, all of these things can seem neutral. And sometimes they are. But sometimes in my own heart, I recognize that actually one of those options is driven not by the glory of Jesus, but my fear. Running away from conflict. Greed. Or self-ambition. And so when we put onto the framework the question, what's going to make much of Jesus? What's going to grow my discipleship? So often, the answer becomes clear. This also helps us with like classic questions that sometimes we get into the black and white law or freedom and go, well, you know, how, you know what do I do in this situation? And I remember the classic one in that situation was in youth group. The constant question in youth group growing up was when you're dating someone, it's how far can you go? Right? How far can you go? We know God says sex is great in marriage, but painful outside of it. Okay, I get that. And if you're wondering more about that, go read The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. A fantastic explanation of why God reserves sex for marriage. But in youth group, you're thinking, okay, I buy into the argument, but therefore, how far can I go? How hot and heavy can it get? 
right? And so I remember in youth group, we were having this conversation, and our youth group was having a really tough time. There's like 30 youth in that room. Uh, saying, what about this? What about that? Can I do this? Can I do this? And it was all about kind of not bringing glory to God. It was about how actually, how much can I sin without getting into trouble? And I remember at the end of this frustrating conversation, the youth pastor just said, okay, enough, enough. I'm going to summarize it all in one sentence. And he just said, look, this is what you do. He said, just whatever, wherever you are, just don't touch anything you haven't got. <laughs> so I, I raised my hand at the back of the room. He said, yeah, yes. I said, does that mean we can touch nipples? <laughs> I was that kind of kid in youth group, right? But the point was, we were trying to work out God's will, not based on giving glory to Jesus, but how we can go as far as we can without sinning. Had we just said, look, use your sexuality, use your relationships to bring glory to Jesus, the conversation would have been much simpler. And I wouldn't have got kicked out of youth group for a couple of weeks. <laughs> so what gives glory to Jesus? Now, there are some, again, situations where you go, well, the Bible says this is okay. Both of my options seem to bring glory to Jesus. There's nothing there which I think is going to be uh, not glorifying to him. So where do I go now? So let's go to question number three that Proverbs encourages to ask. Question three is, well, what does godly wisdom say about your decision? What does godly wisdom say? See, in Proverbs 18, it says, A man's gift makes room, makes room for himself and brings him before the great. In Proverbs 27, it says, Think through your outdoor work. And get your fields ready. And then determine how big the size of your house should be. In proverb after proverb, it talks about thinking, planning, assessing. Assessing your gifts. Assessing the market conditions. Using your mind to understand. What is godly wisdom in these circumstances? So when you're thinking about, should I stay in this job? Should I go? Well, what makes godly wisdom? Who has God made you to be? What are your gifts, your passions, your talents that God has given you? You're a steward of those. And so if you're in a position that you think you can grow in and have influence for the kingdom of God, that this is in line with who God created me to be, then great. But if not, as I found myself, when I was a lawyer, it was okay, but it wasn't making, I wasn't stewarding the uniqueness of who God made me to be. So I left and went into marketing and I loved it. Because it wasn't a direction from Jesus. It wasn't a dream saying, stop being a lawyer, you're rubbish, go be in marketing. No, it was godly wisdom. I remember reading a book, What Color Is Your Parachute? Not a Christian book, but it was a book that helped me discern my gifts, my talents, my passions, and how I could steward them. It didn't use that language, but that's what the book was doing. How can I make much of the gifts that God has given me? One of the biggest questions that people have is, who should I marry? And this is a place of godly wisdom. You don't open the book, your Bible and it says, you should marry Jane. It doesn't say that. But you need to exercise godly wisdom. To choose someone based on, not on just looks and money. 
Because at the end of the day, both of those may disappear. In certainly my case, they have, you know. But actually, you look beyond that and think wisely about I need to choose someone based on the characteristics that don't disappear. Friendship, their character, their heart for Jesus, their worldview. Do I respect them? Vitally important in this question is your spiritual compatibility. That often people can go, well, the Bible doesn't make it clear how compatible to be. I think it does, but I know there's arguments around whether the unequally yoked verse applies to who to choose. But even if that's the case, godly wisdom is very clear. It doesn't make any godly sense to marry someone who's not a Christian. And in fact, it will lead to a very difficult marriage. Now people say, hang on a minute, time out, Gare. Explain that to me. I'll put it like this. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? A Christian is a follower of Jesus. A Christian is someone who's been born again and sin's been dethroned in their heart and Jesus has come to rule in their life. We are now no longer slaves to sin, but slaves of Jesus. That every decision in our life is what's going to make much of him. Our priority in life is to obey him and not others when it disagrees. Our heart with our time, talent, and treasure is to be overly sacrificial and generous towards Jesus and his mission. That we dream and we think about all of our lives, how we serve him with greater passion and obedience. That everything in about life is seeking first the kingdom of God. That to be a Christian is to be besotted to the psalm it says, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever to gaze upon his beauty. This is what a Christian is, someone besotted with Jesus above all else and wanting your life to completely be sold out and on fire for him. A non-Christian is the opposite of that. In what world does that make sense for a healthy marriage? What I've seen, and I've been through so many tragic conversations with people who have, have married someone who is not a Christian, that every single conversation I've had and every single time I've seen that happen, they've come to me and they've been in tears, saying that their life is now confused, they're lonely, because they can't share the most intimate parts of their life the love and obedience of Jesus. They can't share what makes them get up in the morning and sing praise. They can't pray with their spouse. They can't go to church with their spouse. And I've had people say to me, Gare, please tell people, if you thought you were lonely being single, it's nothing like being the loneliness of a marriage with a non-Christian. It just makes godly sense. I remember sitting down with a non-Christian, friend of mine, most of my friends are non-Christians, and um, saying to him, look, if someone came to you and said, look, hey, I love you, but just so you know, you're not number one in my life, it's Jesus. That every act of my will when it comes to my money, my time, and my future, I'm gonna follow what Jesus wants me to do. You know, whether we have kids or where we move, I'm gonna do what Jesus wants us to do. Are you going to be cool with that? 
See, it's only being fair to the non-Christian to say that you are number two in my life, number one is Jesus. And I don't think many of them, if they were told that, would want that, out of fairness. What makes sense? Now, I know, and the proverb says this, that working out what makes sense is really something you can do with 2020 vision. That you need advisors and friends around you. In Proverbs 12, it says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. I found time and time again, if I only listen to my own voice of what makes sense, I'll get it wrong. That godly wisdom comes through trusted friends as we sit together and go, what makes godly sense in this situation? All right, final question. You've kind of cleared out the main stuff, what does the Bible say? You've gone, okay, what's going to bring glory to Jesus? And then you've gone, okay, well, what does wisdom say? And then finally, you could still be left with lots of choices. And the final question then is, what does the Spirit say? Not that this is relegated to the bottom, but he's been speaking to you all through it. But the final question is, is the Spirit just giving you freedom to make a choice? Or is he saying anything specific? The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus who lives in you to guide you and to speak to you and to illuminate the Word of God and to give you the godly wisdom. But sometimes you're left with options and at times in my life, I've just felt peace about all of them and it's just been a sense of freedom just to choose. And as Jesus says in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations and I'll be with you. Just go. Pick one. Pick a direction and I'll be with you. But sometimes... Jesus, by his spirit, comes in with a specific direction. I think it's not the norm. I think it's an occasional direction he'll come in through a dream, through a prophecy, through a word of knowledge, where he'll say, I know you've got freedom, but actually I'm directing you here. We see this wonderful interplay of freedom and a direction from the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 16, where Paul is planting churches all around Asia and Asia Minor. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes in and says, actually, this is going great, isn't it? Awesome. But I want you to go there now. It's this interplay of Paul just using his wisdom about where to go, and then the Holy Spirit coming in to give a specific direction. So in all of this, keep your antennae up your radar up. Holy Spirit, are you saying anything specific? I remember when we were thinking about moving to LA to plant a church, we had quite a few options. I was laughing this week to someone because we had an option to plant a church in Franklin or Los Angeles. Franklin, Tennessee or Los Angeles, California. And I went to both and I honestly felt the freedom by the Spirit to say pick. They would both bring glory to Jesus. Wisdom was like, they could work in either place. But in praying, I felt the Lord say, and my wife and I felt it together, he was saying, come to LA. The Lord guides us. In conclusion, what if I get it wrong? What if you get it wrong? What if I make a mistake? What does that mean? We all make mistakes. We all have. I've made some huge ones. But I rest in Proverbs 16 that says, in their hearts, 
Men and women plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. This proverb is weaving together that great paradox of human responsibility and choice under the sovereignty of God. That we can plan, that we can listen, but we're going to make mistakes. But in all of it, the Lord and his sovereignty will establish your steps. Our choices matter, but God is so powerful, he won't let our mistakes have the last word. It was Oscar Wilde who said, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And God can use everything, even our mistakes, and use them for good. I heard this story on Alpha, which is a series of evenings where people who don't follow Jesus can come and explore faith and ask their questions without preaching, judgment, or pressure. And I heard this story in one of the films we watch on Alpha. It was about a man called Lord Radstock, and he was staying in a hotel in Norway in the mid-19th century, and he heard a little girl playing downstairs in the hallway, and she was making the most horrible noise. She was going plink-plonk, plink-plink, and it was driving him mad. And then he noticed a man come and sit beside her. And this man didn't stop what she was doing, but he started to play in between what she was playing. And he began to hear the most beautiful music. He discovered later that the man playing alongside her was the girl's father, Alexander Borodin, the composer of the great opera Prince Igor. And even in an even more amazing way, as we go through life, and I don't know about you, but I, I'm like that little girl, plink, plink, plonk, plink. What God promises here is when we commit our ways to him, when we love him, when we turn and confess to him, when we ask him to be our guide, he will come alongside us and play alongside us so that our lives can be something beautiful. Let's pray together. So Jesus, we come before you now with all the choices, with all the past mistakes, with all the decisions, and we just ask you to guide us. Make beautiful music amongst all the, the missteps, the wrong turns that we've made. I want to encourage you now, just in the big decisions, to put aside your own understanding and just say, Lord, I trust you to guide me. I trust you. As we worship now, just commit your life to him. Commit your future to him. He is your father to love you and to guide you. Amen. Amen.